You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey everybody, I'm Caroline and we are so glad that you guys are back for another episode of You Can Mentor. I'm here with my co-host Stephen Murray. Hello everyone. (laughs) And our wonderful guest today, our very own Daniel De Jesus. Hey, hello, Daniel. Hello. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. Good. We are so excited that you are here and so thankful that you would choose to kind of flip roles for this one and yes. be the interviewee instead of the interviewer. Yeah, I'm not nervous at all. It's it's so funny. No, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a complete lie. Just about as nervous as you were when you put together that furniture earlier this week. Yes, I did. I tackled the chair. Oh uh, Cash put together the same chair this week. And yeah. That took you like, what, two days? Uh, yeah, just about. Well, <laughs> it took me a solid two days. <laughs> There were some hard, hard parts about that journey with the chair, but we we came out victorious, so. We did. Amen. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, before we dive into the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) what? Well, cool. Before we dive into the podcast, I'm just going to tell us a little bit about who Daniel is and why he's here. So Daniel has spent the last 12 years in children's ministry, most recently as the elementary pastor at Bentree Bible which is located here in Dallas. He's also collaborated with leading organizations such as the Mentoring Project um, in order to help rewrite the story of the fatherless generation, as well as Orange as a blogger, resource specialist, and host for events like the Orange Conference and Camp Kid Jam. Daniel holds a Master of Arts in Ministerial Leadership from Wesley Seminary and loves getting to go on daddy-daughter dates with his girls reading and teaching dance in his spare time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Before we dive into Daniel's story, we just want to um, remind everyone real quick that this podcast um, is meant as a tool and a resource for current and potential mentors of kids from hard places. And we know that everybody's story matters and has purpose. Um, And so when we get to listen to people like Daniel... Um, and hear about their story, we learn from their experience and learn from the people that they have had in their lives as well. We want to help you take your next step in mentoring. So feel free to check out our show notes in our website, youcanmentor.com. Well, Daniel De Jesus. Hey. Our very what's up? own. <laughs> We are so excited and would just love to hear a little bit about your backstory and mm-hmm. where you came from and a little bit of your family dynamic, just kind of painting the picture of how you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to be here and to be able to share my story. Um, well, so basically I was uh, born and raised in Chicago um, on the northwest side of the city. Anybody been to Chicago before? Yes. Anyone here? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Barely. The airport. <laughs> Where'd Come you go, on, Steven. Um, I went to the Bean. Nice, obviously. Yes. Um, it was in a blizzard, and I was trying out for the Voice, so I went to an auditorium. <gasps> you tried out for the Voice? What? Yeah, guys. Oh my gosh! Can we have a whole other podcast about that? Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. But that was all. I That's went awesome. to the auditorium and the yeah. Bean. 
That's very cool. Hey, I have Make had like one of those three-inch pizzas, so I've totally been to Chicago. <laughs> yes, deep, di- deep, nice. deep dish pizza. It's coming back to me now. It's a big deal. Yes. Well, yes, I love love Chicago. I'm very proud to be from, from the city. Go Bulls, go Bears. Um, I don't care about sports at all, but I do care about those teams. So I think just by, by nature of being from there. Um, but yeah, I grew up kind of not too far from downtown. I uh, grew up on a really busy street, Chicago Avenue. Um, so it was definitely like the epitome of city living, um, very loud. Um, Chicago Avenue is like a four lane street and I grew up in a little apartment like right in front of it. So, wow. um, yeah, so that was just kind of my life. Uh, we're a second generation, I'm a second generation Hispanic. Uh, we're Puerto Rican and Mexican. So naturally we're very family oriented, um, amazing food all the time. Um, my mom's the third oldest of eight, so she is an amazing cook and um, always just was known for taking care of everybody. Um, I've got two siblings. There were lots and lots of cousins around all the time, and so there was definitely a lot of love um, in my family, and I definitely had that that sense of community and that sense of, of love there. Um, but definitely in that, like, kind of strange, like, angry Chicago and like if you're familiar if you if you were there like you may have uh-huh. felt it there's like this mild abrasiveness that people have there <laughs> <laughs> that I honestly didn't notice until I moved to Texas and realized like whoa southern hospitality is a real yeah, we're thing. like yeah. laughing and Everyone's you're like nervous so laughing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 so uh but that's just that's just kind of how it is um so as far as my family makeup, my parents, uh, my parents divorced when I was a baby, and I was raised mostly by my mom and my stepdad. Um, and like I said, there was a lot of love, and I know that they loved me and my brother and my sister unconditionally. Um, I never doubted that. Um, but I also think that there were definitely some challenges, kind of like with, with every family. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that my my mom, my stepdad, all the adults in my in my world did the very best that they could with the tools that they had been given, you know. And so um, I honor and I, I respect them for that. Um, but there were, there were definitely challenges when it came to alcohol. Um, alcohol has played and continues to play a really big role in my family dynamic. Um, it's been an issue for a lot of folks in my family. And when I think about it, Alcoholism and the effects of it have definitely sort of placed a wedge between me and um, especially the men in my family where um, there just wasn't a lot of trust that was able to be built because of the effects of it. Um, So for a lot of my childhood, I remember a lot of fighting. There was a lot of screaming, the police showing up. Um, I... There was a lot of bullying happening in school and out of school um, at home because I definitely wasn't like your all-American typical boy. Um, I was very sensitive and I liked to draw and I liked to read and dance. And so for me, I definitely struggled with, um, again, like not necessarily feeling unloved, but definitely not feeling accepted by my family mm-hmm. and the people around me. Um, and so when I was younger, I think I sort of took on the role of like the helper, the peacemaker um, my mom and dad, they worked full-time, so me and my brother were latchkey kids, and um, we were on our own a lot. There were not a lot of boundaries in place, um, and so I kind of just did whatever I could to kind of stay out of the way and distract myself from the hard stuff.
Later on in my teens, when things weren't getting better at home, I definitely got a bit harder. I got angrier, I rebelled, I um, witnessed and experienced several forms of abuse, I struggled with thoughts of suicide, with addiction, and I sort of jumped around from group to group in high school, trying to find a place to belong. Um, so like at one point, I would try to be more like my brother, and so I'd be like, want to be into hip hop and, and baggy clothes. I remember like my first day of my freshman year of high school, I mean, he was a senior and I just, I thought he was so awesome and cool. And I just thought like, okay, I need to be like him to fit in. And so I just raided his closet. I, and I, on the first day of my freshman year of high school, I went to school in like this ginormous, like oversized, like brown polo shirt with like this ridiculous pattern on it and like white wide leg jeans <laughs> so I was just like drowning in his clothes but like when I think about it now like that's how badly I wanted to fit in or mm -hmm. I, I just I thought that I needed to you know do that to, in order to feel accepted so yeah like that's funny that you felt like you needed to fit in to be seen which yes. doesn't really make yeah. much sense on the yeah. outside but right. to you it's like I want yeah like whatever I thought was going to give me attention or make me look like I um, was cool normal. or normal. Yeah, really normal. Yeah, um, is kind of what I was looking for. But I kind of changed from year to year. So like that was kind of my first year. Then I thought that in order to fit in, I needed to like be more goth. And so I like wore all black and I went to raves and I... Um, like wore like the glow bracelets and listened to Marilyn Manson like and studied witchcraft like Whoa. like legit you like would, like dove all the way I in dove I would dive all the way in every things. time. Mm -hmm. Did you do like the um, orb thing like where they <laughs> like dance with the orb? Uh, no, I didn't okay, do that. Great. But I definitely bought a lot of candles and like like incantations and spells and like wow. really tried to go all into that. Yeah, for wow. sure. And then the next year it totally changed. I wanted to be like in the artsy crowd. And so I became a photographer with the yearbook staff and I did theater and dance. And so, yeah, I mean, I was literally changing my identity um, all throughout high school, just kind of trying to figure out who I was. Um, so in a nutshell, I think I'd, yeah, I'd spent a lot of my adolescent years just kind of searching for belonging and searching for people to tell me who I was because I had no idea. And I was convinced that something was wrong with me because I wasn't like any of the other guys, um, any, of the, any, any of the other men in my family. And, and they constantly reminded me of that. And so, um, so consequently, I experimented with a, a lot of different identities. How was your family responding to all of this experimentation? Like, how how is that affecting your relationship with your mom versus your dad? Mm -hmm. All of those things. Like, can you share a little more about those yeah. dynamics? No, that's that's a good question. I'm not sure I've thought a whole lot about that. I think, but the first thing that kind of comes to mind is um, I don't think that they noticed very much, um, and. I think some of that was just sort of the, the, the dynamic of our family, very busy. Everybody's always working, like super focused on, on work and just paying bills. And, you know, um, 
And I do remember specifically some things, especially in my high school years, doing certain things just to get attention from them or just to see if they would notice. And so this is kind of heartbreaking. I'm not sure if this will make the podcast. Um, but I just, I, I remember like during my sophomore year when I was really struggling with like suicidal thoughts and I was cutting and, um, and, and I honestly, like, if I'm honest, like the cutting was really about, um, attention. Like it, I, I was sad and I, and I did think of suicide a lot, but, um, at the back of my mind, I knew I wouldn't like go super far with it, but I did cut enough so that you could see scars, you know? And, um, I do remember like specifically like walking around my, like downstairs, like walking around the kitchen, like around my mom and around my family, like, you know, with like without a shirt one day or just obviously exposing my, my, my arms to see if anybody would notice and they mm -hmm. didn't. And, um, and I do remember having like a, a good conversation with my mom a few years later while I was in college and just sharing that with her, you know, and, and that was really heartbreaking for her because, you know, she recognized just how bad it had gotten and, um, how busy we were as a, as a family. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so I think in general, like maybe part of why I was changing so much, um, was because it didn't feel like anything was sticking and nothing felt right to me. I wasn't getting any responses from the people around me necessarily that I thought that I was looking for. Um, so, but yeah, that, that was definitely the, the dynamic. Daniel, you're walking through all these issues that you just shared, alcoholism in your family, thoughts of suicide, addiction, witchcraft, all under this pursuit of feeling known, seen, like you know who you are and like you fit in somewhere, um, which I, I'd love to see you in Jinko's. <laughs> one one day, but definitely had a few. Is that not? Yes. Have you decided that's not who you are? I have for okay. sure. <laughs> <laughs> we um, have. Yep, we have stepped past the Jinkos. Yes. <clears throat> Living or growing up in a Hispanic family was faith like a dynamic, or when did mm. when did relationship with Jesus become kind of like real to you? Yeah. Like, continue the story for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Faith was definitely not a part of our family dynamic growing up. I didn't ever hear about um, God or Jesus as a child, at least growing up in Chicago. There was one year where we were sent to live with my grandmother, um, who was a um, really strong believer. Um, um, she's amazing. And um, we, we lived with her and she started taking my brother and I to church every Sunday when we lived with her. Yeah. And that was kind of my first introduction to church, to faith, to, to Jesus. She would pray with us every single night. She would, oh my gosh, I didn't think I was going to talk about her. Sorry. <laughs> um, so she would pray with us every night. She would sing, to, um, sing little worship songs with us every night. I would sing in the little choir, um, but that was just for a year, but, but that, that was sort of my first introduction to faith. And, um, 
and then we moved back to Chicago and, and it was kind of absent again. And I kind of forgot a lot of it, but I definitely believe that the Lord planted a seed in me that year. I was like five. I remember I celebrated my sixth birthday there, but for the rest of my kind of adolescence, um, faith was not a part of the conversation. Um, but that is, but faith was kind of the thing that helped turn everything around for me. Mm. And so, um, things started to change, really change my freshman year of college. Um, the year before or the Christmas before, um, I'd become a Christian. I gave my life to Christ. I, um, was invited to church by a beautiful girl who obviously like that had a lot to do with me (laughs) going to church and becoming a Christian. Right. Um, but, but God really used that, that, that experience, um, to really change things for me. Um, the gospel, I'd never heard the gospel. I'd never heard what Jesus had done. And when I think about it, it really was, I think, um, it was knowing and learning and believing that Jesus accepted me for Mm. who I was. Mm. And, you know, with me searching for that for so long, um, and for belonging and even just experiencing the body of Christ and walking into that little church for the first time and just overwhelmingly sensing this love and this acceptance for the first time, like that was it for me. And so thank, thank God, like that was the last of my identities that I put on, you know, like I, I was immediately sort of, um, brought into this community and, um, and I didn't turn back. It was like a complete 180. And so, um, so I, I accepted Christ my first Sunday. I was baptized the next Sunday. And then, um, you know, I was in this relationship with an amazing girl who was a believer and we immediately went off to college together. And that very first week of college, we were at, like uh, a worship night for like the big Christian campus fellowship that was there um, called Chi Alpha. And um, they're a really big deal and um, in a lot of college campuses. And, and yeah, that it was, that was my first week. And so I immediately jumped into um, fellowship with these, with these folks. And um, I remember there was definitely like all the upperclassmen, working on getting the freshmen plugged in and into small groups. And so almost immediately, like that first, you know, night that I visited, um, I was introduced to my very first small group leader. And his name was Josh Olson. Josh was the beginning of this journey that the Lord would would take me on. When I first met Josh, um, it's funny, I don't even remember anything that he said. I just remember how he made me feel. You know, and I actually think about like there's a really amazing quote by Maya Angelou um, that says something to the tune of people may not always remember what you do. They may not remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And we would honestly we would we would um, connect that to kids ministry a lot because I believe the same thing is true of kids. And and so I think of Josh in a lot of ways um, in that same regard that. You know, I don't remember what he said to me when I first connected with him and somebody just introduced him to me as my small group leader. I just remember him looking me directly in my eyes when he spoke to me and just shaking my hand and just being like, hey, I'm Josh. I'm so glad that you're going to be a part of my group. This is going to be awesome. And there was just there was a kindness in his eyes. And um, yeah, just something about his 
which now I know it was just like the spirit of God, right? I mean, there was just something about him though that was, um, that made me feel so accepted and like I belonged on that, um, in that group. And what's funny too is that like there was also nothing remotely cool about Josh. Like he was just like this skinny, <laughs> lanky white guy. And sorry, Josh, if you're <laughs> listening. And um, you know, and so which, but but I think about that again and just realize that for mentors, like you don't have to look a certain way, you don't have to act a certain way, you don't have to talk a certain way. Trust that the spirit of God is going to do the work, right? And and that's going to what gets across to people, yeah. and that's kind of how how it was with with Josh. Um, and I just remember that year that he was just. Um, I remember him leading our small group of freshman guys, just like with this gentleness and this humility. Um, but he was also strong and wise. And honestly, I'd never ever met a man like that. Um, I'd always believed that men were supposed to be this like force of presence and just loud and abrasive and demand respect. Um, but Josh showed me a, a completely different kind of man. He showed me a different kind of, of strength. And there was strength in his gentleness and his kindness and his, in his humility. Um, and honestly, I think it, it gave me, for the first time, it gave me hope for the kind of man that I could be. We talk a lot about um, the three A's that are important in mentoring, and we believe that um, people who are being mentored um, deserve attention, affirmation, and need to be accepted. Um, and so how did Josh kind of fulfill those needs um, or reveal those things to you? How did, how did it make you feel that you were being accepted by him? Um, just kind of fill us in on what he did or maybe didn't do um, or didn't realize he was doing that even made you feel that way. Yeah, yeah. He, um, kind of like I said before, as far as like attention goes, I just, the, the most, um, or the most powerful thing that he did was, was look me in the eyes. I, I just remember that so distinctly, um, that he was, when we spoke, he looked me in the eyes and he was genuinely interested in me as a person and not necessarily anything that I felt like I could offer. Um, you know, I'd been a Christian for less than a year when we met. And so I didn't know anything about the Bible, what it meant to follow God. Um, but he was just extremely patient with me and just loved me, um, through all my questions and all my insecurities. Um, and, you know, I also remember just in terms of like the way that he made me feel kind of important. Um, he would call me to Jesus, um, which <laughs> there are other Daniels in our small group and so many Daniels in the world in general. Right. Um, but my last name is a Jesus. And so I just, every, I just remember distinctly every time I walked into a room, he'd go to Jesus. <laughs> um, oh, man. and, <laughs> and I just, you know, it's so small and like insignificant, but I just remember that just being something that again, just made me feel like set apart and made me feel valued. kind of special and valued. Yeah. yeah. And, and even that too, like, I, I also remember that he was the first person to ever call me a man of God. Mm. And for me, like that was everything because I think, again, my whole life I struggled with, 
what is a man and if a man is what mm-hmm. I um, experience growing up and singing, like if that's what a man is, like I'm not sure that's who I am and what I am. So am I a man? Like masculinity was always such a big question mark and not knowing kind of where I fit in that spectrum. And Josh calling me a man of God and being so emphatic about it. And um, that that really blew my mind, you know, and, and he would, you know, and he would joke like, your last name is to Jesus. Like, of course you're a man of God. Like it's in your <laughs> name. Like how, you know, but yeah, that was again, like kind of small, but not small. Yeah. Like, like he didn't know he was affirming your manhood right. when he said that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also the first guy to tell me that like my ability to dance could be used for like the glory of God, you know, that, cause I think I'd always seen my, my artistic ability and like my dance as something that was not masculine and that I kind of felt ashamed about of, but at the same time just loved and I couldn't help it. And, um, and he was just like, in fact, him and all the guys in my small group just all thought that it was like the best thing ever. And it was, that was super affirming. And I ended up going on my very first mission trip with them, um, to Argentina and dance was a really big part of that trip in evangelism and that we used, you know, we used it as a tool for evangelism down there. And, um, and I don't think I would have ever dreamed that that was even a possibility had Josh and that honestly, in that group of guys just not, um, affirmed that in me to say like, God gave you these gifts and these passions and they're great and they can totally be used for, um, you know, to advance his kingdom. And, Mm -hmm. and and all of that was just brand new to me. Like, so that was a really big deal. Just Um, your whole identity being, I mean, spoken into, you know, yeah. the, the truth of who you are as Daniel was being, um, really rebuilt, you know, and just by this one guy in this group of guys. Yes. And just by calling out the truth of who you are and by um, addressing the things that were important to you and mm-hmm. the, the passions that you had and not taking that lightly or blowing it off, but affirming those things and right. choosing choosing to dive in with you, you know? Yes. I just think that is so big in, like, affirming who someone is but not just doing it because you want to say the right thing, but, mm-hmm. but really seeing, seeing someone and calling the truth of who they are out. Right. Yeah. And like you said, like he didn't, he didn't even know what he was like, he didn't know the power in what he was saying. Yeah. You know, he didn't really know the full, the, my full backstory mm-hmm. or what I had struggled with or what my insecurities were necessarily, you know, he just, you know, I think he just, he naturally, affirmed and he I think he just he did what you do when you um speak value over someone or you want to encourage someone or just to be a good a good friend a good mentor you know um and so it wasn't you know it wasn't like a complicated thing Mm. you know I'm honestly thinking about all this for the first time right now but I think that my whole life I was you know changing up who I was and changing my identity because I figured that people would only ever engage with me based on what they saw on the outside. And the difference with Josh was that that didn't matter. My outside didn't matter. Like he immediately 
was only interested in who I was as a person and, and my own heart, you know, and, um, and no one had ever done that, or at least no one that, um, that I respected or felt like truly cared about me as a person. Yeah. mentioned Josh didn't know your backstory where you came from but Mm -hmm. like you still received all of these things from him I'm sure a lot of mentors think it can kind of be like I want to know the backstory so that I can best help you like what would you say to a mentor who is kind of I guess struggling in that place of like um like I, I have a lack of information. Like I can't get this out of mm-hmm. my kid. I don't know their story from like their perspective. Yeah. Like what encouragement would you give? Yeah, I think if you don't know the full scope of their story, um, I think it's as simple as spending time with them and and just asking really simple questions just to kind of get a sense of what they like and what they don't like. And, and honestly, just like watching them, watching their body language, or even just what you might know about their skills and abilities, you know, and just taking the, whatever information you do have about them and just going a step further with it and, and going a little bit deeper um, in order to pull out what you feel like um, might be those really specific gifts or talents that God has planted in them. You know, and you could also be wrong. And I also, and I think that that's okay. You know, I I think that uh, sometimes a lot of kids um, from hard places don't have anyone speaking anything into them um, and or asking them any questions about who they are and what they like and what they don't like. Um, And so even that conversation is going to be so important for them to have because they're just being engaged, like, we have to remember that like sometimes kids aren't even engaged with these kinds of questions or, or they might be used to not having anyone take any interest in them um, or make them feel like uh, like a human being. It, I think it's it's that simple, you know, it's just is taking it a, a step further and, and trying to dig a little bit deeper in order to discover what those gifts might be. And then once you think, you know what, what they are, just call them out you know, and just say, man, I think you're really good at that. Or I think you should try more of that. So Daniel, you're a kid from a hard place. And yet when a mentor came into your life and spoke identity, looked you in the eyes, affirmed your manhood, accepted you for who you were, um, your life changed. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, the the Daniel that I know is a children's pastor mm-hmm. who's doing the same thing Josh was doing in your life, but you're doing it in hundreds of kids' lives. And, mm-hmm. and just the ripple effect of mentorship has... Josh has affected 
hundreds of other people, and he didn't know it. He right. probably doesn't know it today. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some practical, simple mentoring tips that you would just throw out there to guys that are listening to this who are considering mentoring or have just jumped into a mentoring relationship? What are some practicals you would give them? Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about Josh, what I know for a fact that he did for me was he dreamed for me. Um, he, he dreamed dreams for me that I didn't know how to dream for myself. And so, you know, as he got to know me, like he started to understand my family background. And so, you know, he started to help call out my calling in that, you know, maybe your purpose or part of the Lord's plan for you is to show your family a different way to live, you know, um, to give hope to the hopeless. And and so when I think about even becoming a kid's pastor eventually and being able to do the same thing, you know, it's, it's powerful, you know, it's, it's, it's been amazing to be able to, like you said, be a kid from a hard place and then give hope to other kids who, um, are in hard places and show them that like that hard place does not define you and it, it doesn't have to confine you either, you know, Mm -hmm. but that God is, he's a God of redemption and he transforms lives. Like he does it. It's possible. And I know that it's possible because he did it for me, you know, but it all started with Josh calling that out and like dreaming those dreams for me. And so I'd say, for every mentor, like, don't be afraid to dream for your kid because they may not know how to dream for themselves. They may not have anyone in their life to give them a different vision for their life. And mentors have an incredibly unique opportunity to be used by God um, to help change the trajectory of someone's life, you know? And that was definitely the experience I had with Josh. I think, second lead, I, I also say that um, as a mentor, like, be okay with being vulnerable and like sharing your shortcomings um, and your struggles um, in an age appropriate way, obviously, like if you're working with an elementary kid versus working with a high schooler, like those look very different. Um, But I think that sometimes kids think that like, because we're adults, like we have our act together. And then we also have that temptation to sort of, because we're adults, like to show them that we have our act together Mm -hmm. and that like we're perfect. But, um, but I think kids really, really benefit from seeing adults, um, seeing them as just human beings and seeing their shortcomings and seeing that we don't have it figured out because that, to me, like that proves our need for the Lord, you know, and kids need to see adults like actively working out their faith, you know, and like struggling with things and or just doubting or asking their own questions like kids need to know that a lot of like we don't ever arrive you know what I mean necessarily like like we're always we're always learning we're always changing God's always teaching us something new and I I I really do believe that kids start off with believing that like someday I'm gonna figure all of it out you know, and if you're a mentor who makes your kid think, you know, that like you've got it figured out, like you're deceiving them, wow. I think, you know what I mean? Um, 
And so, yeah, just don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And um, because like I said, it, you get to show them what surrender looks like. You get to show them how to pray, how to depend on God when you don't have the answers and how to, how to trust in his plan. Um, that's really big for a kid, for them to, for, for you to humanize yourself a little bit. Man of God, thank you so much for sharing incredible story, incredible vulnerability. Um, yeah, I hope our mentors walk out in that same, all the practicals that you just shared. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Can Mentor. Um, If you guys have any questions about anything that Daniel talked about in his story, maybe you're mentoring a kid that is going through some similar things, or you just want more information on what that looks like, um, you can check out our show notes, which will also be available on our website, youcanmentor.com. Thanks so much.